Today on Chase Wildly, there is a lot of fathering and mothering that needs to be done in this world, and the task is ours. It is no one else's. It is not for a government. It is not for an expert in any field. It is not for a guru or shaman. It is theirs also, but it is our task first, individually. See, we must heal. We must grow so that we are not blown by every gentle breeze. So we are not blown off course in our own emotional reactions, that we aren't triggered by every other word or headline. We must heal so that a thousand leaders arise, a million leaders arise in every community and together walk boldly forward and build a new society. Though this seems more pressing now, this is always the story of humanity, an ever-evolving organism. Some choose to take up the responsibility of leadership. Some don't. But in truth, it is not a choice. We lead in how we live. So today, here now for you, with this intention of becoming fathers and mothers for our fellow humans, for our society, for our families, for ourselves, I'd like to share this conversation with Fred Midtower. We recorded this near Gualala, California at his home just after I had rolled off his massage table, still very delirious from the experience, a truly transformational experience, a healing journey. Fred has been working for nearly 40 years in what he calls transformational bodywork. He and his wife, Cheryl, ran a school for body workers in Marin County, California for 30 years. Now they reside on the forgotten coasts of Northern California, where they occasionally lead seminars in this very important work. Fred is the author of the book, Wounds into Blessings a book which tells his own story of growth and healing of those he has worked with and of the transformational power of somatic work and human touch and presence in helping people turn their wounds, the wounds of their lives into blessings. This is an idea I find so important always, but especially right now as we come out of social isolation where we have opportunities again to realize the value of touch of being seen of exposing ourselves and our vulnerabilities and may we as we re-engage with touch see and feel with a new sensitivity the beauty and the power of it fred really has taken a place in my life as a mentor um, and also a friend, which I find is best in mentorship. We talk in this podcast about health. We talk about finding one's own internal compass. We talk about the journey in which boys mature towards men. All themes which in this world and this time that is starving for healthy leadership and humble, trusted voices a world which is asking each of us to step into his or her own power and purpose is a message that to me feels like a steadying force. 
So I'm honored to share this conversation and Fred with you. Let's go. I'm not even sure to how to, to, to describe what you do. How do you describe it to people? Each person comes to a session with their own narrative mm -hmm. and what is in their rearview mirror of what happened and where they're going with their life. And many people um, have been through psychotherapy or shamanism or meditation and uh, they're stuck even though they're enlightened about what it is yeah. and they've explored the um uh, the history of how they got there um, but they're still carrying it in their body so the somatic piece that i'm going to offer them is a chance to unravel and unwind from uh, both the genetics and the imprints that happened in one's early formative years mm and what happened in their life uh, with all of the um, uh, successes and challenges, the ups and the downs, and see if we can get to the present moment and see where we can go in a, in a fresh way and be current with our life. Right. I, I mean, this is the journey you just mentioned is the journey that I took. I mean, I went and did, you know, ayahuasca in the jungles of Peru and aboga in Mexico and, have done meditation retreats and and yet here I am looking for more maturation, looking for more flow in my life with a body worker. Yeah. Now I say it like that to be a little bit provocative because I think to a lot of people there's not that clear connection between body and spirit or body and evolution, right. personal evolution. How what is that relationship? Well, I think it's a relationship that is unexplored. Mm. It's the it's the the new frontier. Yeah. It's the, you know we've explored the stars a little bit. We've explored a little bit of uh, you know the moon. Uh, we've gone into with technology lots of uh, the scientific aspects of the way the body functions. Mm. But the great mystery within the body um, is always going to be a mystery. But that's where we with our mortality and with our, um, our yearnings, we tap into soul, mm -hmm. our fear of death, our yearnings for life and love, and all the um, experiences that, that come with the, the dance in life of how to provide security for ourselves and um, find freedom you know, within mm -hmm. our daily life. Mm -hmm. So the body is where we play it all out. Yeah. And I think, you know, for the most part, um, more culturally conditioned people that have had issues around the body through, you know, the Judeo-Christian and religious um, kind of indoctrinations that make the body feel a little bit like a third cousin. Mm. You know, shame, sin, guilt. That doesn't help <laughs> people feel good about their embodiment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we um, have to deal with the re rebel in us that feels like 
a caged animal mm. that just does not want to be um, held hostage. And so there, there's a lot of anger and reactivity. And I think that's what we see in the big world. And yeah. you can psychotherapize it or transcend it in meditation or shamanize it. But at the end of the day, your body's still carrying the angst and some of the issues in the tissues mm. that your parents and your grandparents and great-grandparents never had the skill sets mm -hmm. to unwind from. So a lot of this freedom and liberation that we do in the somatic piece is not just for ourselves, but for all of our ancestors as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the, the thing that I want to dig into is how should people think about this? And particularly, perhaps, how should men think about this yeah um and and maybe what are men's unique relationship with their body and their shame um but but let's start with what you were saying just a minute ago which is that ancestrally and through our own lives we're storing what is it trauma angst emotion yeah. in ourselves and in our bodies and karmic history Mm -hmm. And and we, you know, we we have labels and words now these days for all kinds of psychological issues, yeah. melancholia, depression, anxiety, things like that. Does it do us any service to have all these labels for these things? Well, we use English words in this case to frame experiences that that actually are somatically felt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does help to um, name it. And understand, oh, um, I'm experiencing anxiety. Yeah. Now, am I an anxious, fearful person? Well, a part of me feels anxious, but not all of me. And so it helps to start looking at the parts of us. And maybe my mother was anxious mm. or melancholic, for example, or my father was a rager. So mm. maybe it's I've inherited the imprint or maybe it's come through the um, the line. Is there a way that is it important for me to understand this concept to let go of something? Like, do I have to understand that I'm either integrating the four-year-old chase, or that I have to relive an experience to have it pass through me? I mean, I, I think it's helpful. We don't yeah. want to get overly, you know, caught up in the analytical aspects of it, but it's helpful to see it and to uh, understand a little bit how it came into our field of perception. And, you know, if we feel like um, a victim or a little boy that didn't get bonded or, um, a, you know, a girl that wanted daddy's approval, you know, it, it helps to know that that's what you've been doing is always looking for approval or for nurturance or bonding. Mm -hmm. it, it does help to know that's what your driving mechanism has been in all of your relationships. Yeah. And so how do you help people? I mean, the way that I've heard you describe it is, you, you know, you enter into flow with someone and you're a facilitator for them in many right. ways. How do you facilitate? Okay, how I facilitate it is I use my hands mm -hmm. to open up the, the bio field through touch. Mm -hmm. It's like imagine, you know, you get a package from Costco that's 
you know, big box and you get a box cutter and you open it up and there's another package inside that. Right. And then you got to get a scissors and cut that. Mm-hmm. And there's all this plastic and paper. And finally, the thing you wanted and ordered is wrapped up three, five times. <laughs> Sometimes we have to unpack a lot of this stuff that surrounds um, the core experience. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's mommy, daddy stuff. Sometimes it's uh, imprints from ancestors or the church or, you know, the priesthood mm-hmm. or uh, our school experience, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we unpack the body, yeah. uh, we get to the core part, which might be um, a, a very primitive uh, child that, you know, wants to be loved and, and feel uh, that it, he, she belongs. Right. Rather than feels alienated because they're not good enough, you know? Yeah. So it's a process of unpacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I work quickly, as you know. Yeah. And I unwind the box and unwind the packaging and get to the core part. So um, because I've been doing this for so many years, I can see inside the field of that packaging what's the core issue in the tissue. Mm-hmm. And so I want to go to that by letting the body's armament and the way it holds on to um, its own defenses. Um, I want to unwind that pretty quickly so we can actually do the work. Yeah, get to the get to the juicy part that wants to change mm-hmm. or be seen or witnessed mm-hmm. and help along. How do you find that? Has it just come through experience? I think beginning body workers are, are just kind of f- like fumbling around, which isn't bad. Um, as, as, you, <laughs> as you get more experience, you fumble less and you kind of feel your hands drawn to um, the heat or the light uh, or the blockage. So there's a somatic mystery that, you know, um, when, and this is the sense of touch that is pretty un- underdeveloped. Mm. We're talking about a language, right? Communication through touch. Yeah. Okay. As opposed to, you know, words um, or symbols. So without vision and hearing, and we tap into touch, we're going to experience heat and we'll experience um feelings um, and emotions and the, the way animals like move in their own creaturehood. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sensitive through that kinesthetic property. So people learning, they're going to fumble around. After a little bit, you learn and yeah. you stop fumbling and you actually go to the juice. You go mm-hmm. to where the, um, uh, the, the, the story wants to be told and unfolded. Mm-hmm. And continued, and yeah. maybe resolved. Yeah, you you talk about this like learning a language on your end, and as you're saying that, I'm also thinking about for those receiving the work. Oftentimes, it's sort of like learning a language, learning the language of our own body, right? right? L- learning to acknowledge the parts that we've been. If there's a pain in my hip, or my groin, or my yes, and my ankle. I can normalize that by suppressing it, by pretending it's not there. And we right. become disconnected to parts of ourselves, it almost seems, at well, least in my pain own experience. Is, pain is actually not a bad thing. It actually is giving us data, mm. information. Mm-hmm. And, and with that information, we can either suppress it or pay attention to it. 
So yeah. let's just stay with your, your, your groin and your knee and your ankle. Mm-hmm. The, the leg is all about the verb to go. Where are you going with your leg? Leg mm-hmm. wants to either hold its ground, it wants to either strike out, or it wants to run away. Yeah. Okay? Right? How do I know which? Well, one, <laughs> one doesn't know until one actually gets into the witness of mm. what it's like to have your leg worked on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's blockages and there's pain in the unwinding. So standing one's ground, yeah. feeling insecure about <clears throat> one's stance in life, um, the desire to flee, run away. Sometimes mm-hmm. we want to run away but we're too young because we don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And if we did go there, who would take care of us? Yeah. So then we go back to our life and we freeze it because we can't run because we know there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And we're too young or too small to fight back maybe our oppressor or our father or mother or whatever. Right. So we... we freeze the fight. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of fight and flight that's frozen in our body. And oftentimes people will create a pleaser within themselves mm-hmm. that knows how to get by and get mommy and daddy's approval and make the teacher happy and, um, you know, make the boyfriend or girlfriend feel like they're likable, mm-hmm. you know. So we, we get socialized and conditioned to be secure within the box. Mm. And that works for a while until a rebel comes up like, well, what about the real me? (laughs) What about the part that didn't get a chance to be seen? And usually by midlife, people have had enough uh, experiences to feel like, wow, I don't really have any opportunities to be the real me. Mm -hmm. I need to have a vision quest. Right. I need to go to the Brazilian rainforest and do ayahuasca or I need mm-hmm. to get get a good therapist, you know, do something. Right. Right? Yeah. So usually when they get to do body work um, and they realize there's more than a massage here, mm-hmm. there's actually kind of like an exploration of terra incognita. This mm-hmm. is the new frontier. Yeah. Wow. That's where I buried my first girlfriend. that's where I put my loneliness Mm -hmm. or um, uh, that's where I um, cave in to actually be with my um, my fear of not being lovable yeah do you feel like there's a trend that you've noticed amongst men the men that you've worked with um, particular patterns particular things that around this age, around 35, are the real things that they, they need to be healing, or at any age, but the things that rebel loud enough that at 35... Well, I think, they, I think there's cycles in life, you know. Mm-hmm. So as I, I mentioned, seven-year cycle, seven, 14, 21, 28, 35. Mm-hmm. 35 is the age of maturity, yeah. where you're really in your life, and you're no longer working with arrested adolescents, although most people who don't do the work stay in arrested adolescence, sometimes to 42, 49. Yeah. And if you're going into your 56th year, your second Saturn return. With the mindset of a 15, 16, 17 Yeah, and you're still year old. trying to you know, figure out 
do they like me? How do I look? Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of that um, egoic insecurity that comes from ad- adolescence. Then I think most men need to actually stop and, and really do some examination as to um, where their relationship is with the father, if the father's still alive. Yeah. And come to terms with authority and with their own um, sense of dream and potential and validation mm-hmm. and, and acknowledgement that they're a person of worth and value. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to share your own evolution? Oh, for sure. My own evolution has been yeah. quite, quite interesting because um, my own father um, has been, uh, has passed away probably 35 years ago. Now. Okay. And how old were you when he passed away? Um, let's see. My son was two, and he's now 38, 36 years ago, and I'm 69 if we subtract 30. I was 33. Okay. Yeah, same yeah. age uh, Christ was when he died. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of similarities. A, a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a rite of passage. Well, my father was um, a piece of work. Um, he, he, I, 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 I loved him. I never liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, mean in many respects. Mm-hmm. I think he meant well, but couldn't quite express affection. Yeah. And he was a shamer. Yeah. And um, he was brutal. Um, and he um, was not a pleasant person to be around. Um, and he suffered from what I later learned in my 30s from what is now genetically identified as fragile X syndrome, which is a form of autism. So he was um, um, probably adult onset, and he got more and more that way as time went on. Um, But he was not like normal kind of guy, which actually it's taken me most of my life to really love him truly in a, in, a, in, a, in a very profound way. Um, I would say it's taken me six decades to get to the real love mm-hmm. where I value being outside the box as a person. Mm-hmm. And I got that from him because he was so outside the box. But that was because he was um, with some form of an autistic um, genetic um, typology. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I felt um, that my suffering and my difficulties, my pain, my wounds that came from not being acknowledged and um, witnessed and appreciated like I saw many of my, uh, my, my guy friends with their fathers. Yeah. I, I yearned for that kind of a dad. And I looked for mentors of my whole life mm-hmm. um, to be the dad I didn't have yeah. or the dad I wanted or needed. And eventually, I ended up becoming the father to myself. Mm-hmm. And how does that happen? I mean, well, it's an organic unfolding. Okay, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> to, it helps that you know. It became I became a father. We adopted mm-hmm. our son. Seth is now 30, um, 38, turning thirty nine, um, and that was a journey of infertility for me. Seven years mm-hmm. of trying to get my wife Cheryl pregnant, mm-hmm. and that was very humbling. Yeah, to try and you know, be the man that give my wife the child that she wanted and, you know, it's entitled to and needed and yearned for. Um, 
So I felt inadequate that I didn't have the sperm to provide her with. And so we did artificial insemination. Mm -hmm. And eventually that failed. And uh, well, she it succeeded, but she had a miscarriage. Yeah. And then we just decided, you know what, forget this. Mm -hmm. Let's either split up or adopt mm -hmm. or travel to Tahiti. Do something. Yeah. So we ended up adopting. And um, we wanted to um, live in the country. And we found this place. And we built our home. And we adopted our son. Mm -hmm. And we grew a family. And it took a long time. And it was so beautiful after all that hard work to get to it. And so by raising my son, mm -hmm. when he was six and a half or so, I was aware that I was beginning to get jealous. He was having the love from his mother that I didn't get from my mom. He was getting the fun and approval and wherewithal and experience from me as his dad that I never got from my dad. And I started like, wow, I'm experiencing jealousy to my son. This is so Freudian, mm -hmm. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> um, so I decided to go through another round of psychiatry and I found a, my therapist friend, Hal Stone, and we um, did some work on my inner child that was six and a half, and I didn't want to be stuck. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, Chase, it was recovering the six and a half year old in me that felt so overwhelmed by the loneliness that I experienced in my childhood home mm -hmm. that I didn't resolve until I went back in therapy. And got to know that little Freddie. Mm. And so being a father and watching my son grow, I didn't want to be left behind. Well, he became seven, eight, nine, ten, and went on. And I'd be stuck in my six and a half year old wounded child. Right. So I do think that psychotherapy does help mm -hmm. to um, uncover um, the part of one's identity that got stuck in a childhood formation where there was a wound. Right. Right. Um, but then your work My does work, both of that, it seems to, right? Yeah. I, I, I help people um, unwind from their wounds mm -hmm. and move on to something better. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate what you do. And um, I've appreciated working with you because it's brought to mind, it's brought to my awareness new things about myself. And one of the things is, uh, I guess in the simplest terms, I tend to overthink things. Right. So the first time we worked together, it was really this awareness of how little flow that I had, how little natural ease I had. And because I was stopping, because I was overthinking every little thing, right. and, and we began to get to, okay, where some of that came from and, and through work and um, so I love the parallel personally between the body and that because the body and the spiritual, the emotional mm -hmm. peace, right. serenity, because there really does seem to be that, that connection that if we're tensing in our body, yeah. it's this resistance to life, to this yeah. natural energetic flow of life. Right. Um, that's becoming a tumor, becoming scar tissue, or becoming a, a joint that only moves this much. 
Yeah. Um, that's a representation of something in life that we do not want to let pass through as it naturally should. It's sometimes it's scary to actually let the flow happen really big because mm-hmm. we get overwhelmed with the uncontrollable force of that flow. Yeah. However, that's what we yearn for as well. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of men mm-hmm. um, are uh, um, hyperconceptual mm-hmm. and rational. Yeah. yeah. And so feelings are a little more suspect, but thoughts are a little bit more friendly and tame. Even right. bad ones or weird ones or evil ones. At least they're 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 not um gonna take us over like um that emotional state that so many people can get into, especially women. Oh fascinating. Yeah, I like that. That that perhaps men and often men can often tend to go to the mental as their their mode of control instead of allowing those emotions. Yeah, and they become lawyerly and they become logical and they mm-hmm. become realists and, and they're proud of it and they can prove their point. And within that field of rationality, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's all like a chessboard, you know, this move means this and therefore don't you get it? Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of control that happens with rationality. But actually there's a lot of life that gets missed by um, over-conceptualization. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a metaphor. Self-consciousness is dough, and conceptualizations are like cookie cutters. We get a Christmas tree or a circle or a star, and we there's our mommy issue and there's our daddy issue, and we've named and claimed and framed by having these conceptual dough cutters what happens with all the dough that doesn't get stamped through with these cutters? That's still consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that exists and has validity. Mm-hmm. Stuff that the mind hasn't quite named and labeled. So, you know, science is an expanding kind of um, inquiry. There's yeah. a lot that we know. But as the knowing and the knowledge increases, so does the unknown and the mystery increase Mm -hmm. and so i think we're left um as rational beings with um, the humility that as much as we know we still don't know it all yeah and so there's a a humility and a humbling that comes and we don't generally get to it until we start to grow into our maturity or watch our parents age and die Mm -hmm. or say the birth of a child or something major is a crisis or opportunity comes into our life where our rationality does not actually explain or even serve. Mm. We have to open to the mystery. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It is, but it's so hard. Why is it so hard for us to admit that we don't know? Because I think that's another part of the suppression, right? Is that, yeah. okay, everything that has a name, it goes over here in the acceptable area of life and everything that I I can't quite figure out, I'm going to deny to a certain extent so that I can tell myself and everyone around me that I know it all. Yeah. I think that's, that's a cultural problem and maybe American men have it more than, than others. Um, I think we're, we're conditioned to, if you don't have an answer, then what good are you? Mm. Um, Where I think, you know, in other cultures, Staying in the question and being open and being okay with saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I often don't know. 
In fact, I teach the work is a form of um, almost a Buddhist practice of going not know, not know, I don't know. Let's now, like it leaves it open, let's now explore, let's discover, let's find out. Mm. So it's open-ended. Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge shift for me in my life when I, when I realized, and it's still happening, right? But realizing how resistant I was to saying the words, I don't know. Yeah. And then having taking a step on the other side really opens up so many doors. But then what are you greeted with? You're greeted with the amount yeah. of, of life that you can't comprehend, not only your own experience, but right. the ends, the edges of our understanding of science and physics and, and, and matter and spirituality and consciousness. Of course. Um, and, and then that's daunting because now you've, you, you, you know, nudge this little door of not knowing open and the thing flies open yes. and then you see that what you know is the thinnest sliver. That's right. That's um, fun. Well, like, I, oh, I boy. Think, but it's also scary. It's scary, yeah. Well, I think scariness is, can turn to excitement. Mm. If we know we're safe. Right. Well, I think here's the right. word, anxiety. Yeah. You know, I, I, I ask people to look at what they're anxious about. Now, if they're anxious about it, it's scary. But what if they're anxious for it? Mm. Then they're excited about it. So anxiousness is like, oh boy, you're at the edge of discovery. And if you're filled with fear, you're anxious about what might happen because you don't have a control about how it's going to be. You're going to actually watch it unfold. Yeah. But if you're not trying to control it, you can just see, oh, I can, I can ride that wave. I can actually find a part in it. I have faith. So if you have faith, you're not going to be overly whelmed, overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think people have lost faith because the word itself, faith, is kind of pejorative in many cases because of the religiosity of the word faith. But you know what I mean. I, I, I do, but I think, yeah. I think a, a lot of men and a lot of people in general and women, of course, if they've lost faith, then they're going to be living lives of anxiety. I think you're right. And I think, I think that's where the safety comes in, right? And, that big unknown can be super exciting if we feel safe. And what does safety mean? It means faith in that everything will work out, that everything is okay as it is. Okay, so let's just take that yeah. and go to the last moment we shared together, mm -hmm. all is well. All is well. Mm -hmm. And if people needed proof that all is well, sit quietly and notice that your body is taking a breath. It lets the air in and it lets the air out and it's free. Your body wants to and needs to breathe. Stop breathing and you're dead. So if we needed an opportunity to examine that the universe is friendly, mm -hmm. it's our breath. Mm. Now, sometimes the breath doesn't go down to the diaphragm. Sometimes it gets caught in the throat. So then we get to look at what's there causing the in-breath or the exhalation to be less than full mm -hmm. or less than open. 
So that becomes, rather than a statement of our weirdness or a tweak, it actually becomes an area of inquiry and exploration. Why is the throat blocked? Is there something that you've been wanting to say or a cry yeah. that hasn't had an opportunity to come out or a shout? Yeah. And so many people who gnash their teeth and grind their jaw are afraid of being really angry because then they're going to look like a person that's not very attractive or is so pissed off or has got some issues. You know, that's not going to make a nice date on Saturday night. And so we end up swallowing back a lot of our truth because we want to appear nice and attractive and get the approval of other people. And then we start beating ourselves up for having been phony mm -hmm. and synthetic rather than authentic. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what causes people to um, seek somatic work, yeah. also therapy and shamanic work and mm -hmm. spiritual enterprises of all kinds. Because there's something in the field of not working or not being enough. Right. Now, I want your take on what I see sort of as the addiction to healing. Um, because I think that people can start down this path and taste some, and now when I say people, I'm probably talking about myself, they can taste a little bit of awakening, a little bit of flow, a little bit of yeah. lightness, and then it's okay and then they take their same concept of problem solver and figure outer and con conceptualizer. Right. And now I want to find all the things about myself that I can fix. And it, it, it can become, can't it, more an addiction? So, so where's that balance between allowing and healing? Ju just right is the, is, is, right. Is, is the not too much, not too <laughs> little, just right. It's the balance and harmony that we're after, you know? So, you know, don't eat meat, be a vegan, you know? Um, you know, make, make sure your alkalinity is just right. You know, mm -hmm. of course, we're going to overdo it at some point. We're going to party some. Uh, yeah. We're going to be tyrannical and fascist on one hand. And we're going to be, you know, uh, sybaritic and we're going to be playing it all. But at some point, the body it basically tells us, mm -hmm. hey, you know, it's too tight or it's too loose. Can we find the just right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people that are divine mm -hmm. addicts. You know, they constantly need to be with, you know, their, uh, their, their spiritual practice all the time. Yeah. Um, I think find the right balance of spirit and materialism so that you're comfortable with sex, death, and money. Yeah. Yeah, so balance or a sense of harmony that probably is going to shift based on what life throws at you. Yeah. This, this tenseness or relaxedness. Yeah. will depend on circumstance, but then in moments of peace, we need to understand their moments of peace and right. be able to relax and be able to breathe and be able to accept it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the harmony and the balance point um, is probably underappreciated. Uh -huh. I think mean, a lot of people like the edge mm. because there's the, like the sizzle, the splash, and um, we, we, we give a lot of um, collective praise to people that are edgy. Yeah, when you say edgy, you mean like rock stars. We love watching them fizzle and burn and follow their stories of crazy lives. Or, yeah, or Trump as a president. Yeah, there you go. You know, and there's there's just a lot of edge. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, um, we, we need to find creative um, middle ground mm -hmm. that that isn't boring. That's why we don't have peace because peace looks boring. Yeah. So let's have a little argument. Let's fight because mm -hmm. we get the adrenaline. 
Right. Now, now we're, we're, we're like sizzled up with, but it's not the kind of life force that's sustainable and regenerative. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that this is sort of an organic process. There's, there's part of me that, that wants to rush it. And um, personally and as a society, and, and the part of me that wants to rush it says, well, there used to be all these rites of passages. And right. when we were more religious as cultures, we would have a period in life in which you were a boy and then a period in life in which you're a man. And that meant something. Yes. And there were values attached to that. Yes. And now we live in a very open sort of society or global society, even in which there isn't a rubric for what that means at one level or the other. Right. Can you force this? Can we build structure in it? Can we, well, can we create, the, at least in our community or family, something? Everything in its time and yeah. certain things. I don't like to force things. Mm. However, there are moments where... That's not what it they, felt like on the table, Where they have to be Fred. forcefully pushed into <laughs> a new place. And so the right use of force um, and, and, and the right timing of it is divine. Mm. Okay? But um, there's a difference between... Um, force for its own sake and looking with bravado, like I'm strong, I can do what? Just show off that you that you can push things around. But it's helpful yeah. to know where you want to push it and exactly how much and not too much. Mm -hmm. So that type of specificity requires maturity and vision. Mm -hmm. So I think ritual, body work is a ritual. And when I work with people, I move into ritual time and space. I light a candle. I open a fireplace. You know, we, um, I bring in guidance and I ask, you know, what's the intention here? What can we do? And so we ritually open to explore what's possible. Mm -hmm. um, I think that people need a sacred container to take a fresh look mm -hmm. at what they're holding and to see if they can lighten up what they're holding and be more free. Mm -hmm. Okay, man, can can we recap that? This I loved what you said about ritual. Yeah. So, what are those elements that you see again when you step into that? I mean, it's well. I think the the first part is the hello mm -hmm. that you're being witnessed, having eye contact, mm -hmm. having um, quieter speech. Yeah. Being able to drop into one's soulful feelings without getting sappy mm -hmm. and, and overly emotional. Just really abide, uh, you know, abide in, in your own isness. How do you feel in your own skin, right? Are you mm -hmm. angry or are you scared? Are you horny or do you want to basically go to sleep? Yeah. You know, do you want to numb out or do you want to dance? You know, do you want to write letters and burn them? Do you want to praise God? I mean, just find, just say what it is top of heart and mind. So that's a hello, like the introduction. The next part in, in ritual for me is to go into a um, somatic experience where we get on a massage table and you take your clothes off and you're horizontal with a blanket covering you and you start to breathe. Okay, and then I, or a practitioner who's a somatic practitioner, comes in and starts to touch you. Yeah. Okay, that, well, that's a ritual that is an unfolding of opening up the box, the package, right? Well, let me jump in and also say there's a, there's a whole 
physical manifestation of surrender right. that is taking your clothes off and laying on a table almost in this sacrifice to the gods kind of yeah, position. Yeah, the, the table is an altar. Yeah. Right? Okay. And the practitioner is basically uh, uh, operating from a place of right doing mm -hmm. to help the being of the person mm -hmm. go to where they want to go. Yeah. So I use the verbs, going, doing, and being. Mm -hmm. the, the, the arms are a lot of one's doing, and the legs are where you're going to go, and the torso and the head and heart are about where, how, how am I being with mm -hmm. me? Yeah. myself so essentially taking one's clothes off is a vulnerable act it's a ritual experience and for many people they have body issues mm -hmm. or they may have some self-shaming or judgments um, maybe their only experience with touch has been sexual mm -hmm. or perhaps they've been spanked mm -hmm. um, as a child or they've got you know, some issues around their, their body, accidents, operations, injuries, mm -hmm. scars, whatnot. I, I think the humility of just being seen and witnessed by another person um, in a naked but respectfully covered way um, sets the stage for a whole lot more than a lot of other kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. So there's a human to human and there's a bonding around mm -hmm. um, the practitioner and the client that in this crucible of intentionality and touch, um, there's an asking of the third force of the mystery to come in and see if we can dance and play with what's possible. Yeah. Now this, this level of humility, I feel like, is out of balance in our society today. Um, is this something that you try to you've taken from your work on the table and try to bring into other areas of your life yes. sort of setting this stage of humility yeah, don't know i'm humble i'm i mean i can be pretty strong and and and, and you know snappy and jazzy mm -hmm. and and even show off if, in my moments of egoic pursuit if i have to i have a theater mm -hmm. for christ's sake yeah but when i'm in the working session i bring humor mm -hmm. and i bring um the witness that can listen mm -hmm. and hear the cry that is not being shared. Yeah. And I think that when I feel a little bit busy with my own mindset or egoic pursuits, and I see the person on the table as being with something that's delicate or swallowed back or problematic, mm -hmm. I'll scratch my own heart and remember my own vulnerability yeah. with my father with mm -hmm. not being able to provide my wife with sperm mm -hmm. the experience of not having the goods mm -hmm. and i tap into that um suffering space mm -hmm. not to dwell but to remember my vulnerability so that i can meet them in their vulnerability and have them feel my resonance mm -hmm. with their risk taking to open up in front of my eyes with my hands. Mm. That's a powerful way to think about cap uh, compassion or, or empathy. It's yeah. a remembering of your own vulnerability because yes. it's easy to, it's easy to, you're not there anymore, perhaps. I'm not there in that anymore, moment, but there's always a memory that helps me in remembering. 
-hmm. be present with someone who's going through a discovery process of their own vulnerability, where they failed mm -hmm. or where they are um, falling short or where they slipped up yeah. with addiction or substance abuse or a divorce right. or where they cheated or where they, you know, they didn't uh, show their best side. In fact, they actually were relatively mean mm -hmm. and they need to forgive themselves mm. and, and move on, but do it really well forgive themselves in a sincere and a wholehearted way. Yeah. So that's a ritual too. Yeah, forgiveness for sure. At least a big big piece. Forgiveness is a big piece. Shame is a big piece. Mm -hmm. These are the issues that come up in psychotherapy and in healing work all the time. Mm -hmm. If you had a magic wand and you could look at I'm going to pick men just because in our there's such a narrative today <laughs> about men, but what would be the one thing you would touch with that magic wand? Not a part of the body, but an emotional part or a story of men across the world to heal or to start them healing. Well, I think the courage to be vulnerable, which is what we've been talking about mm -hmm. all along. And um, the, 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 um, the need, open up to your own need to be a listener mm. and to hear other people, especially women. I mean, we're looking at the end of patriarchy mm -hmm. here. I mean, it's um, we're, we're at the, in the the Tibetan Kali Yuga age. We're we're, we're at a low point in mm -hmm. civilization right now, mm -hmm. and materialism is not really providing everything from education and healthcare that we we thought we'd be in from you know the progress point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of stuff, technology has not necessarily liberated us. In fact, a lot of us are enslaved to things that have artificial intelligence. Maybe that's going to change in the next decade. Mm -hmm. um, but what's behind all of this is our deep conditioning around fear. Mm -hmm. And if we stop being afraid and we learn to have faith, that there's a divine intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it shows in our breath, in our body, if we're able to look at our shadow side and own it, Mm -hmm. we begin to unravel and look at, um, in a fresh way, that which needs to be addressed. Then we can start composting our shit mm -hmm. and grow a new garden. Yeah, that's beautifully put. I want to touch on just that last part of what you said, which was, um, so we want to compost our shit, but before we can do that, we need faith, Right. Right. And faith in something else or in the, how did you put it exactly? Divine. Divine intelligence. Divine intelligence. Now, how have you come to that faith? And what I mean by that is how, how do people understand that that exists in this world that has been very materialistic? And I think the touch, we're going back to somatic intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if, if a person was bonded at birth... Mm -hmm. with a loving mother who had eye contact. Yeah. Breastfeeding helps a lot. Mm -hmm. And they felt nurtured in those early moments. They know what it's like to be cared for mm -hmm. by other or mother, other. Okay? Yeah. Many people that were born in war zones or domestic violence mm -hmm. or in unwanted situations, they didn't get at the core foundational moment mm -hmm. when they came in 
the kind of nurturance that they needed. Yeah. So bonding is a big issue. And so what makes for bonding, if we didn't get it at the core, is healing experiences. Mm -hmm. Now, as I've mentioned, there's shamanism, there's meditation, and there's um, psychiatry and psychology. But what I'm getting to again and again is the somatic intelligence of being touched, Mm -hmm. being held, Mm -hmm. and being witnessed in the holding and being and feeling the authenticity of your goodness by another mm-hmm. human being mm-hmm. in a way that's non-sexual yeah. the touch is healthy and you feel in your somatic world i'm okay yeah i'm even better than okay mm-hmm. and that kind of nurturance is felt on a cellular level it's felt on a muscular level and it's felt on an emotional level and I think that touch, if we're not getting enough of it, mm-hmm. we feel scarcity. Mm-hmm. No matter how much money you have or material wealth is around you, if you're not being with a somatic nurturance, you're always feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. So that, that safety, that can come from coming into yourself more fully. Yes. And then it come, can come from this touch. And from reaching out and touching yeah. Yeah. and learning how to mm-hmm. touch, learning how to learn the alphabet of somatic literacy. Yeah. But th- this is an easy thing to question in our world. It isn't? Just, it, it is. It's, it's, it, it, it's an easy thing. You know, if I go home from this today yes. and I talk to, you know, 80% of my family, they'll say, well, divine intelligence, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know, we have chemistry. We somatic have... intelligence comes okay. from an area that you've never explored. Okay. That's what I'm, somatic intelligence is divine intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's coming back into the bonding feeling of loving another human being in a, in a relatively um, divinely impersonal way. Yeah. Let me be even more specific. It's easy to criticize because that's the rational mind. Yeah. But I'm going to speak redneck for a moment. Okay. Just kind of simple doesn't mean it's easy. Mm. It's hard to get simple. Mm -hmm. you got to shed that rational tyranny. Take off your clothes. Or be respectful and touch someone who's naked. Mm -hmm. And find a way to reach without your preconceived notions and just be with someone else. And find a way for your hands to discover the mystery in a new and fresh way, like a child that is an awe and wonder of sunlight and color mm-hmm. and light in the fresh air yeah mm. beautiful thank you <laughs> so you asked me who my audience is yeah who's your audience and who i'm trying who i'm hoping to reach are young men or men who are coming to terms with the fact that they want to make a change and i think that's easy for most men to say these days, especially in the United States. I mean, there's a lot of noise around how men have been in the past will not be okay for the future. Right. And that's, that's I think, warranted. But what does that mean for the future? So what's the roadmap for the future? And how do you get there as a man? How do you figure out who you want to be, who you're going to be, and start down that path? Yeah. How do you get a compass? Yeah. Let me speak to that. 
There's an old um, Sufi line from Kabir. Gentleness is a divine trait. There's nothing stronger than gentleness. And there's nothing more gentle than real strength. So when we talk about become a gentleman, the Yiddish word is mensch. Mm-hmm. Be a mensch. Be a man. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a man? Be a gentleman. It's to find a place that can husband life, love, property, humanity in a way that's caretaking and spiritually imbued, right? Mm-hmm. And um, can protect and support um, the goodness of life that in the context of that women can be free of fear and fear of being seen as property mm-hmm. chattel and so if you look at most cultures women have been you know a second class citizen so that's changing because the patriarchy has failed in many ways. So men's day have to reevaluate what it means to be a man, to be whole, mm-hmm. to be um, comfortable with vulnerability. Right? So the word vulnerable, it's a good word. Mm-hmm. It's a gaming term, you know, in poker. Okay. Or um, sports. Yeah. You know, you've heard announcers say, oh, she's vulnerable in the third round. Right. Well, it means basically you're liable to a greater defeat if you lose. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's the usual sense of what that word means, vulnerable. I'm going to be defeated more if I'm vulnerable. But it also means, the second meaning is more important, liable to greater benefit if you win. Mm. So if we want to win bigger, we have to be vulnerable. Now, in business and in politics, what we see is this bravado of not showing any vulnerability. I'm going to overpower. And there's a win-lose. But in spiritual growth or in intimacy, one has to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And this is where if men fail, they fail in relationship and they fail in their own spiritual evolution. So they're stuck in this middle ground of succeeding but never being fulfilled. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of men who have um, got the good toys Mm -hmm. and have got the money and they're lonely Mm -hmm. and they don't really know the um, deep friendship of the mystery. So they rely on women to do that for them. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they like it. And at some point, they feel dependent upon it because they haven't sourced it for themselves. So they're kind of outsourcing that to women. Mm. They're outsourcing that vulnerability, that connection. Outsourcing the, the connection that... with earth and sky. Yeah, They're in that middle ground. So sex and spirit... You know, w- women women carry that. Mm-hmm. 
and because it's it's actually once they taste it, they want more of it, but they haven't provided themselves that that core experience with finding their own inner um, inner self, yeah, or even their own inner feminine. Mm-hmm. You know, Jung, Carl Jung, the Swiss analyst, talked about anima and animus. Mm-hmm. We need to find if we're, if we're in a female unit, we need to find our inner masculine. And with men, we need to find our inner feminine. Yeah. And what a lot of people do is they, they go to the edge. They go to the extreme. So, you know, you get these weird kinds of men doing uh, hypersensitivity because women are looking for a sensitive man where they're so, like, super sensitive. But it becomes a caricature or a comic strip, right? Yeah. Or we get women who are trying to be strong and empowered and they, they, they look basically angry and bitchy. So it becomes more comic strip and caricature. Mm-hmm. So again, back to the middle ground, what does it mean to find that sweet spot of being vulnerable and being open and being empowered and being receptive and creative? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I think body work, somatic work could be enormous for men in particular yeah um, for everyone for every human being but just that just that process of exposing being surrendered being out of control being right the one laid out on the table yeah. um, the one being ravaged you know right. in in other words yeah being yeah. in the receptive state and being yeah. out of the control field Mm-hmm. I'm just surrendering. Yeah, surrender is different than collapse. Mm. Let's talk more about that. How so? Well, I, I think that um, there's a difference between collapsing and surrendering, mm-hmm. and it's psycho-spiritual, really. Mm. Um, one can drop in and surrender and not lose their dignity, mm. where collapsing is kind of what people are afraid of, and they feel shamed when they collapse. But there's a point where you realize the game is not going to work out and you surrender to the inevitable and you still have your dignity. Yeah. Kind of like what we're talking about in our session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Maintaining you know? your dignity. And this strikes me because I think one thing as a as a guy, seeing how important pride has been in my life, yeah. it was such a driving force for me to make sure that I'm tough enough, make sure that I'm making enough money. Make, And a lot of that coming from pride and not wanting to quit, not wanting to be less than another guy, yeah. you know, this competitive yes. nature to it. And then hearing you say that, this realization that, well, dignity and pride are different. Yeah. And that you can relinquish this concept of pride and still live with dignity. Um, yeah. I'm not sure how that'll manifest in my life, how specifically I can think about that. But I love the concept. I, I think being proud in a, in a good way is, is, a, is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Being prideful um, or riding the wave of um, I'm too proud to be vulnerable or to ask for help or... Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. 
um, mm -hmm. that's not so good mm -hmm. because we all need help. Yeah. Um, and I think that most men are afraid to ask for help. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> we're taught, like, you know, bite your lip and stiffen up and get your act together and get over it and move on. That's you know? right. Walk it off. Take care of yourself. Get yeah, out there. Because yeah. men don't, you know, show that they're vulnerable. Yeah. And it, it really is. I think that expectation is on the other end of the, you know, perhaps there's this limiting expectation that comes from our past of women to be taken care of that mm. keeps them small, that keeps them oppressed. And then on the other end, for men of this spectrum is the expectation of themselves to never be a burden. Not yeah, only, never, not only yeah. never be a burden, but to take care of. Right. Which is a beautiful thing. But if there's not, if it's not balanced, right, then. Yeah, it, it's all about balance. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, in, in a good relationship, you, you want it to be not finding the mommy that's going to take care of you or the daddy that's going to always approve you. But a lot of people end up look, doing mommy, daddy stuff in, in primary relationship rather than in a reciprocity of two peers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're writing a new book. Yep. What's it called? And the, the new book is, is called Just Right. Just Right. Okay. And the subtitle is um, a, a New Compass for the Human Condition. Okay. Okay. And what I want people to do is see their body as a compass. Mm. Okay. And I ask people to look at their balance point. And so if you look at a level, a carpenter's level with a bubble, mm -hmm. and we're you get that bubble to be just right, you know you're in balance. So let's take left-right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Left-right is masculine-feminine. Mm -hmm. So you're balanced right between and poised in that yeah. middle ground of yeah. that. And then that bubble represents that point. Mm -hmm. Now let's do back-front. Mm-hmm, right. All the back is the genetics of your mom and dad's gene pool mm -hmm. and all the karma of what happened back then through all the ancestral lineage and whatnot. And then going forward to what's the dream world of what could be the destiny point. Mm -hmm. And then right in the middle of this breath right now. Okay. So we take time past and future into the present moment. What's this breath holding all of that stuff, right? Yeah. So now let's do a third bubble. Up, down. Mm -hmm. So raise up, stand tall, as tall as you can, into the realm of spirit and transcendence. And then come down all the way into the middle earth with all the gravity in fecundity, the soil, the dirt, salt, the heartache, the yearning, all that soulfulness. So somewhere between soul and spirit, there's another bubble. Let's find that third bubble between the vertical of up and down and have all three bubbles, the left, right, the back, front, and the up, down all concentric. Mm. 
Now, if I'm living in this field of harmony and balance with those three dimensions, yeah. I can now do the inside-outside. So when I speak to you, Chase, you respond to me, and we're in a dynamic relationship mm-hmm. rather than a transactional arrangement where you give me this and I give you that. Mm-hmm. That's different. Yeah. And that's what we're kind of looking at right now. How do we actually have dynamic relationship? Mm-hmm. And we don't see enough examples in our um, media, in the, in the film, in the movies, the, in the literature. It's a lot of the tragic stories of people being in transactional arrangements mm-hmm. that don't work out. Yeah, and we also see, you know, in in poetic illustrations, the possibilities that are there when we do do that. Mm-hmm. That's you have some of those. Oh yes, indeed. yeah, <laughs> and indeed. I mean, I, I'm I'm always looking for um, the gold and the possibilities and, mm-hmm. and and the love and the light that is real and not forced. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you think about this. I. For me, there's so much power in a story. And so, you know, I think you're right that we're not really seeing the examples of what you're talking about, dynamic relationship of harmony of in, in a person and between people. And so do we start telling a story about what the world is that is darker than it really is? And then... Do we start, do we continue to create the problems that are there because we believe that the world is the way it is? Yeah. 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 I, th- I think we, the, the universe is reflexive. If we have a dark narrative, mm-hmm. we're going to see darkness. Mm-hmm. If we have a light narrative, we're going to see a light narrative. Um, yeah. It depends upon what our preconceived notions are. But if we just look at it like a camera, mm-hmm. just see it as it is. This world is a majestic and amazing and beautiful place. Yeah. And it's also treacherous. Mm. Because there are things that can happen that can harm us. And so we have to be aware. That doesn't mean we have to be fearful. We just need to be awake. Mm. I mean, that's what the Buddha said. To awaken, to be alert, but relaxed. Yeah. Like a martial artist. Right. I think that's a common misconception. I know it was for me, at least, to think that it meant just be peaceful at all times, um, which can turn into, if if I'm not using the right code or I'm not defining that correctly, it can turn into, well, just be happy no matter just what. Just be happy. Well, that's you know, and then you repress yeah. things or you deny things, which is very different from what you said, which is acknowledge everything that is treacherous. Right. And don't be afraid. Right. And yet and navigate sometimes it. Fear does exist and you mm-hmm. in, in, in and you feel fear and you can learn from it. Uh, but sometimes the fear is irrational. F E A R false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Right. Love that. Yeah. yeah. So if we if we we want to get um, some energy, we can get adrenalized by mm-hmm getting fearful yeah and and we we people love scary movies 
because they get the adrenaline. You know, we like that rush. Exactly. And this, I think I was addicted to that and find myself still leaning towards that in a lot of senses because I see it as motivation. You know, fear, living in that place of fear allows me to get things done. Yes. You know, and and my, concern, my concern about becoming a monk is that I won't get things done. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you're, you're going into retreat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's a time to be a monk. And there's a time to be an active person in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done meditation retreats. And I've become a monk for 10 days of silence several times. Mm-hmm. And I've appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not my nature to... I'm a moving person, so for me to sit still for 10 days and sit with my legs crossed and my eyes closed and watch my breath for 10 days, um, that's not my general temperament. Yeah. Um, but I, I did that as a discipline mm-hmm. in order to appreciate what monkhood is about. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean when you said you did that as a discipline? Well, I, I've always been attracted to spiritual inquiry Mm -hmm. and i wanted to explore the dimensions of the mind when i could actually allow um the clarity that comes from disciplining myself from my mind going all over the place with monkey mind Mm -hmm. and so I, i learned how to still the mind and to find that still point and see things very clearly. Mm-hmm. So an experiment or an experience in discipline, yes. right. not that it needs to be your normal state, yeah, not that I you have to be a pure. I'm not addicted to meditation retreats. Right. Okay. I'm not, a, I'm not addicted to um, ayahuasca type of uh, somatic mm-hmm. um, experiences that are like, whoa, whoa, wild and crazy. Now I see God and I got to keep... I, I want to be here on earth doing my divinely ordinary life. Yeah, divinely ordinary. Yeah, I want to be a person on this planet. I don't need to change my name. I just want to have a good time, and I want to be uh, in good terms with my neighbors. Yeah. And I want to be in service to the greater good. And when I die, I want to look back and see that I made a contribution. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what else is there? Right. I suppose not much else. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like what, what's all the big, big hoo-ha about? Can we just find a new way of just relaxing into our existence, like a, a plant or a flower, mm-hmm. you know, a creature mm-hmm. that is comfortable in its own skin? Yeah. Amen. Cheers to that. Clink Cheers to, to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now we're we're clinking uh, a very fine scotch here, and you just smoked a cigarette. I'm yep. going to say that's on air. Yeah, and I want to ask you how you define health, because you know we like to demonize all of these vices, whether it's smoking a cigarette or drinking alcohol, or you know everyone has their list of vices. That everyone has some. You know, it, it, it's not about the actual substance. It's the intention mm. behind it, 
right? So if I drink to get numb, mm -hmm. then I'm trying to get numbed out because I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. If I, my intention is to actually have intimacy or connectivity or more soulful conversation with you, then having a scotch and having a conversation is like a sacrament. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's not the substance, it's the mindset and intention around it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think that we, we, we lose our focus on looking at the substance and making labels and, and shaming ourselves because we're, we're addicted to the patriarchal Christian, Judeo-Christian view. If you don't measure up to this thing, then you're not good enough. And therefore, yeah. and so it becomes very binary mm -hmm. and, and strange and weird. And it can be used to um, disempower yourself. Mm-hmm. And shame yourself. Yeah. Oh, you should be clean and vegan and doing not harm. And, you know, there's this tyranny of being perfect. Yeah. Yeah, there is a tyranny of being perfect. Tyranny uh, of perfection. Tyranny of perfection. In that same line, I, I think it's that perfection is a form of addiction. I wanted to ask you, have you battled addiction in your own life or had... Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, from a psychological view, you could say all addiction is rooted in denial. Okay, so what am I denying? Okay, we can make a whole story about this and that. On the other hand, we give ourselves a little permission, mm -hmm. some space to have a scotch or a smoke. Yeah. Where we're not basically going down the road to hell or debauchery. Mm -hmm. okay? What's the point where a little poison isn't bad? So the line that I was going to quote was a um, Zen perspective. And it goes like this. Fish don't live in water to pure there has to be a fecundity in the water and because i have two koi ponds mm -hmm. i noticed that there needs to be a, a little bit of algae a little bit of fecundity mm -hmm. to create the field that these fish can live in okay mm -hmm. and the same thing in the ecosystem of the human digestive tract, right? Mm -hmm. So now they're doing, you know, fecal implants. Right, fecal okay. transplants and yeah. Okay. Well, there's something in, in the friendly bacteria mm -hmm. of feces that, that helps one's immune system, okay? So, like, you know, shit to compost. We're back to the whole experience of you know, organic arising of yeah. what's the balance point. So it's all about balanced harmony. Mm -hmm. and, and what's the biome where there is a um, ecological, energetic field that's congruous mm -hmm. with life positive expression, okay? Yeah. Right, so substances um, in the right amount, at the right time, in the right place are perfect. With the right intention. 
with the right intention. Yeah. Otherwise, um, taken to an extreme, it moves toward death wish, suicidal impulse, ideation of I'm done, I just can't handle this life. So a lot of people are um, confused about this mm-hmm. because they, uh, they haven't come to terms with their own relationship to what's the right amount at the right time and the right intention. Yeah, and I, and I think that brings us back to something we talked earlier and really defines it in a nice way. When I was asking about people who are addicted to this healing pursuit, addicted to fixing, and, yeah. and, and it's more about uncovering and it's more about unchaining and it's more about then finding balance once you've unchained and uncovered um, and it's not about fix. It's not about turning yourself into yeah. a form of perfection. Yeah, it's a problem about, that needs to be solved. Right. Yeah. It's it, it, it's more of a possibility to be explored. A possibility to be explored. Nice to meet you. You possibility yes. to be explored. Yeah. yeah. How, how cool is this? Wow. <laughs> It's exciting. Getting to know you. you getting to, to know, know all about you. you. Uh, and, and suddenly one's vibration expands uh-huh. because it's possible mm-hmm. for us to explore what is in the air. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that opening of wow is what I'm after in my work. Mm-hmm. The wow. Now, the aha. I want to share this with everyone. Yeah. I want other people to have this experience too. Mm-hmm. And so, I want people to give themselves to somatic experiences mm-hmm. that will enable them and enliven them to be with the wow and the aha and go, now what? Now what do we do? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a couple more questions. One is about women. So I've, I've directed some of these questions towards men, but a lot of people who have come to me after starting this project have been mothers. And, um, and even friends who are women working on developing what they see as their masculine side, yeah. the mas- divine masculine within them. Um, and the mothers are, are hoping to glean insights on how to navigate their sons through this. Right. So when you see that sort of interest from women, what does it make you think? Um, or what do you think this conversation or these sorts of things can give them? I think every woman wants their son to respect femininity, Mm -hmm. womanhood, the righteousness of nurturing and empowering and belonging, bonding. The feminine principle is so essential to life itself and we need to bow to it there's a I guess the word respect 
more important than anything. Mm-hmm. I think that the the deep feminine uh, is urgently needing to be perceived in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. That men need to come to and be invited to the conversation of how to respect that which gave them birth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the mystery. Mm-hmm. That's the unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's where rationality stops. Sure. And so if men can surrender with their dignity into the unknown and be open mm-hmm. to receive mm-hmm. that which they don't control, mm-hmm. they could become divinely ordinary yeah. beings on this planet right now, mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well put. Thank you. Um, so I want to ask you one last thing, which is if you could challenge anyone, man, woman, every human, invite them. How about that? Invite them to do one thing around somatic agency or take one little baby step mm-hmm. in this direction. Does something come to mind for you, for them to do? Yeah. I think it comes down to opening your heart to reaching into the field of experience of another human being and saying, what is possible? Mm -hmm. What could happen here? And can I be of assistance in any way? Please let me know. So I think the invitation is to collaborate, Mm. to dance with, to appreciate and move forward um, with the intention that we're going to make a better world. Thank you to Fred for his time and being. Here's his invitation to open your heart to reaching into the field of experience of another human being and asking, what can happen here? And can I be of assistance in any way? So together with another human being, in in a form of intimacy to collaborate with the intention that we're going to make a better world. I don't think this is beyond any of us. I think all of us have the potential to impact the world for the better. And with this intention, with this beautiful invitation to connect with another human being and truly open yourself to be of service in the moment, I think we can do that. So thank you to Fred for that. Thank you to Auli Chino for the music. Thank you to No Sin Records for the production. Thank you all for listening. Now go out there and love somebody. <laughs>